A number of years ago, I had the privilege of being in India, and we were driving through the outback, if you like, the the farming community uh, of Middle India. And as we were driving through there, we had uh, our guide share with us that a number of farmers in that region were really struggling. They weren't struggling from the normal things that you might imagine, like drought or those kinds of things. But in fact, they were struggling, and he went on to, to communicate this to us, that they were struggling simply because the seed that they were asked to use was uh, not producing the same kind of outcomes for them. The, the market was demanding a genetically modified seed. And the genetically modified seed was um, basically, I guess, modified in such a way that it would yield more uh, and maybe even be resistant against certain pestilence and that kind of thing. But when it came to harvest time, the seed that they would normally put aside for next year's crop to sow again, they could not use it. He went on to explain that that seed, once it had been sown once, could no longer reproduce. Genetically modified seed could no longer reproduce. And it made me think, I wonder if our discipleship here in the West, whether we've created a genetically modified Jesus, where we don't reproduce. Now, as I was thinking about that, we ended up going into a, uh, a, a large big tent where they had this big meeting. Over the next three days, we're going to be preaching. I tell you what, when they preach, they preach like for an hour and a half. And uh, it's difficult because you're doing it through an interrupter, who's an interpreter, who uh, is... You know, every, every time you get a run up and you, you're trying to get into things, he interrupts again and shares his thing and sometimes corrects you in the way that you're preaching. But I'll tell you what, as we preached, there was a hundred students who were getting ready to graduate. These were students who had been handpicked in their churches, who were disciples of Jesus. They were first generation Christians. They were in their family. No one before them had given their lives to Christ. They were first generation. And here they were, they were handpicked as being future church planters and leaders and missionaries. And so here were 100 students, all between the ages of 18 and 25. Some of them were a little bit older. And I preached a sermon, we preached quite a number of sermons, but one in particular around uh, the barren woman is instructed to rejoice because greater is the children given to her from God than the children through natural means. And that we can trust God in the midst of all the things that we're facing, all the unknown. And afterwards, a student came up to me and said, thank you so much for sharing about uh, that particular story. Because today I was thinking to myself, I can't do this. I don't know if I have what it takes to step out. And uh, she said, I actually fear my life. In fact, she had every reason to. Because many who would go out Uh, there would be some who would have their lives taken from them as missionaries. They were going to places where the gospel had never been sown before. And so she said to me, uh, I fear for my life. And uh, she went on to say, but as you were speaking, the Holy Spirit was saying to me, it's going to be okay. You need to step out. You can trust me with what's about to happen. And here... 
all of us, I shrunk when I heard that because I had no, uh, I had no points of reference for what it means to step out in your faith as a disciple, to be one who's ready to reproduce, knowing that your life could be taken from you. We don't have that experience here in Australia. But here was this rich discipleship where there's, they're ready for reproduction. They're ready to reproduce Jesus in others, right next to gen- genetically modified seed. And when, I, when we came back to Australia, I realized we may not have necessarily uh, as much of a, a, a desire to go towards a genetically modified seed. But when it comes to discipleship, we have a lot of people, not in this church, of course, but we have a lot of people who are believers in Jesus, but they have a genetically modified Jesus and they're not reproducing. You know, he desired for every disciple to reproduce. He desired for every disciple to be exactly like him. And I find myself here in the midst of this conversation as a sojourner with you because I realize, God, the things that I see in Jesus' life is still not complete in me. I want everything that I have that you have for me. Do you know, uh, when it comes to the fullness of Christ, we may not be down the, the lines necessarily of a genetically modified Jesus of trying to shape you know, uh, faith with a bit of Jesus and a bit of this, but we can find ourselves saying, I can find myself going down that line of who Jesus is, love for one another, serving each other, but when it comes to a witness of Jesus, I find myself so far from what Jesus did. And we, we even tell ourselves, that's for somebody else. It's not for me. Every disciple. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what your performance is, what your past is. It's all about what he's purchased for you. Amen? Yeah. It's all about who Jesus is and what he has for you. And so I want to encourage you, over this, these next number of weeks, that you would uh, find yourself on the same journey of saying, God, I want to have everything of what Jesus said is mine. Amen? I want to have everything of what Jesus said is mine. So discipleship in its simplest form is simply being a a student or a pupil. Uh, We might see it uh, in a better form if we were to say uh, somebody who was an apprentice. You see, a student might just learn information and be able to repeat that information. But uh, somebody who's an apprentice, they're not just requiring information for the sake of information. They're wanting to have that information to put it into practice. And it's that kind of thought behind discipleship. In a more complete form, uh, discipleship is believing in and being a follower of that uh, person who is teaching. And it implies more than just information, but a close relationship with that person. So what did Jesus say discipleship is about? Uh, If you have your Bibles with you or your phones with a Bible on it, uh, you can read on with me. And we're going to have a look at John chapter 6, verse 29 to start off with. John chapter 6, verse 29. And just before that verse, the disciples ask the question in verse 28, What must we do to do the works that God requires? Now remember, this is a question that's being asked from Jesus' disciples. They're asking, what must we do in order to do the, the, the works of God? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this. Now you might fill in the blank before you read on. What is the work of God? And many of us would fill in the blank with 
performance issues, things that we think uh, that he would require of us. But he simply says this, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. It all starts with Jesus, who he is, the son of God, he's sent from God. If you don't get this one part right, everything else comes out of performance. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's so important that when Jesus started his ministry, everything he said was around repent and believe. In other words, turn your thinking, change the way that you think in order to take a hold of who Jesus is. You see, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and has uh, been sent from God for us and has also become our sacrifice between us and God, it answers all of the relational questions with the Heavenly Father. Now you actually have access to the Heavenly Father, His love for you, His desire for you. Now you can come and bring your prayer directly into the presence of Heavenly Father. Now you've been invited in as family. The believing part is so important. Now, as uh, Western Christians, oftentimes people would stop there and they would say, it's just enough for me to believe. Yes, salvation starts with belief. But let me take you to chapter 8, verse 31. To the Jews, notice this who had believed him. So these are disciples. They've placed their belief in him already. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Okay, so here are people who have believed in Jesus. Now he's saying those who obey, those who walk with the words that I have given and they live by it. It starts with belief, but then we enter into that belief with obeying. It's not obeying first and then believe. It's belief first that leads to obedience. And it's because our belief is not just in that Jesus is sent as the Son of God, but that he has called us to represent him as his disciples. We have believed in the one who is sent from God, who is calling us in to become just like him. And so it requires of us as disciples to obey him. He also says in Matthew chapter 28, uh, a familiar verse to many of us, go uh, into all the world and make disciples, teach them to obey my every command. Well, his commands are very short. If we go to chapter 13, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We also find in John chapter 15, verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Do you know, as you love one another, as you keep that command, it fulfills every other command. Amen? It's simple. Believe, obey. We're obeying Jesus because we know who he is. Our obedience is this, to love one another. It's very simple. He's calling us into that discipleship. He's calling us to become just like him. Okay, flick over with me to 1 John chapter 2. It's right towards the end of your Bibles. 1 John chapter 2, 
and we'll go to verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. That is talking about Jesus, our relationship with him as disciples. Verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, the love of God, sorry, if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Did you hear that correctly? Whoever claims to be a disciple of Jesus must live as Jesus did. In other words, when people see you, they say, ah, I know that person. That reminds me of somebody. And you're hoping that they're not going to say like a movie star or something like that, but they're going to say Jesus. It reminds me of Jesus. The things that you do, the way that you love people, there's something different about you. Maybe you've had somebody say that to you before. There's something different about you. I just can't put my finger on it. I know there's something about you that's different. What is it? And what they're seeing is Jesus in you. Chapter 4 of the same book, 1 John chapter 4. Uh, Verse 17 says, This is how love is made complete among us, so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Again, he's reasserting. As a disciple, you are to be like Jesus. Let's go back a little bit. Verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. Now, you might say, how on earth am I meant to live like Jesus? How is it even possible to live a life that is just like Jesus? It's impossible. And the truth is, the Christian life is impossible. The only way that you can live out through, uh, live a life that is just like Jesus is to have his spirit in you. The only way that you can live the way that Jesus had intended for you to live It's not by trying harder. It's not not by your performance. It's not by believing harder. It's simply by His Spirit in you. Amen? Amen. It's simply by His Spirit. It's a relationship. He calls you into relationship. Now, here's where I believe a lot of disciples get it wrong. And I was there. Uh, I found myself uh, in a place where I knew that Jesus was the Son of God. I believed. And I read through the Scriptures with a viewpoint, I need to become like Jesus. Performance, 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 dry, worn out, rugged, broken. Performance, performance, performance. And this went on and on until I realised I cannot do it. It was at that moment, I had a little prayer time with God and it was very brief. I said, God, I can't do it. It's impossible. He says, exactly. I'm so glad you worked it out. And it's like the Holy Spirit got excited because he was standing over here for a long time watching me going, okay, you're trying to do what Jesus did. Well done. But can I have a go? Because he wants to actually be your source of strength. Do you know, later on in another book, Galatians, Paul says, If you follow by the the means of the Spirit, there is no law. In other words, 
Yeah, in other words, there's no performance. It's just keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Amen? He's calling you into a deep discipleship that can reproduce. You're not going to reproduce anything out of your own performance. The Holy Spirit doesn't back your performance. He backs your relationship with Him. And out of that trust, you end up becoming just like Jesus to others. Okay, last scripture I wanted to share with you. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we're going to look at the verse uh, found in verse 13. But just before we get there, uh, Paul says this. He says, of the church at Ephesus, which was a very vibrant church, they had seen some incredible things happen in this particular church. Uh, if, if you had a model for discipleship and revival, the church of Ephesus was one of those churches that you could look to. And Paul says, uh, Jesus Christ himself has given to the church, oh, what has he given? Fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, uh, pastors or shepherds and teachers. Five different things. Listen, if I was to ask you those five things, do they represent all of who Jesus is? Absolutely. He's just given them the fullness of himself. And he's, and he's placed it in men and, and in women so that you can see firsthand that the fullness of Christ is possible for you. But then he goes on to say that it's not just so that you can watch the preacher talk. It's not just so that you can uh, have the, uh, the, the prophet get up and do his ministry. It's not so that you can uh, just watch the evangelist go in and lead people to faith. Well, what is it for then? He goes on to say, uh, let me read to you, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. To equip the people. In other words, the reason why he gives the, the fullness of himself to fivefold ministry is so that you and I could become the fullness of Christ. Amen? So that you and I could, okay, what, what does an apostle do? They look for the kingdom of God. They, they are hungry for, they expect the kingdom of God is about to take place right here. Uh, they are looking for culture change, kingdom culture. Is it my job and your job to have a kingdom culture? Yes. The prophet, he hears from God. Is it my job and your job to hear from God? Yes. Amen. And we need people to lead us there so that we equip in that way. Uh, he has evangelists. Is it my job and your job to be a witness to others? Yes. Amen. When we have a pastor who preaches the, or who shepherds one another, which is really about the community of believers. Is it my job and your job to love one another? Yeah. Amen. Yes. And finally, the, the teacher, when it comes to teaching and hearing from God through the Word of God, is it my job and your job to hear from God through the Word of God? Yeah. Absolutely. The fivefold was given so that, that through the body of Christ, you would be completely equipped to become the fullness of Jesus. Listen, in verse 13, he goes on to say, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, his maturity, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Every disciple. Every disciple was designed to be in the fullness of Christ. It's my heart and, and my prayer 
that you would discover the fullness of Christ. Let me tell you, it's not based off your performance. It's not based off your past, but it's based off what he purchased. It's based off everything that he is, the fullness of Christ. It's not possible through your own strength. It's only possible through the Spirit of God in you to become just like Christ. When you actually take a hold of the Spirit, there's not one person here who cannot be transformed, amen, into the fullness of Christ because it's not based off your past. It's not based off your performance. It's based on Him. If you will, here's the thing, and here's what I want to land today, is that it's not about adding stuff to your Christian walk to become a disciple of Jesus. It's actually a lot more about letting go. It's about full abandonment to Him. And this morning, I want to call you, whether you're here this morning or whether you're online, to actually say, Jesus, I'm letting go of my own performance. I'm letting go of the things that I wish to control, the doubts that I have, the things that I'm holding on to and I'm choosing to believe, I'm choosing to obey, I'm choosing to love, and I know I need the Holy Spirit in the midst of this. And so I'm letting go. And so if that's you this morning, then I'm going to pray a prayer that's just going to be a prayer of, of recommitment to the Lord. And maybe for those online, it might even be your first time commitment to Jesus. Saying, Jesus, I believe you were sent from God. I believe that you're calling me to be the answer to the world simply by following your Holy Spirit, becoming a disciple of yours, becoming Jesus to others. Maybe there's some offence that you need to lay down right now. Maybe there's some things when it comes to relationships that you've been holding on to because uh, you feel like you need to control or at least get them to pay you back in some way. But let me tell you, it needs to be let go of in order to take the fullness of Christ. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you came for a people that uh, even as you were, were hung on a cross, you came knowing that we had rebelled against you. And so this morning, we recognise that you came as a servant. You didn't come as a king to be served. You came to serve. You came to give your life for us. And this morning, Lord God, you ask us to do the same thing without the cost that you paid but equally to have the same abandonment to take a hold of you. And so, Lord Jesus, right now, we let go of our own control. Right now, we renounce that our performance is what pleases you, but instead you're calling us into relationship. Lord God, where we're dry, where we've lost our joy, where we've lost our peace, we recognise it's because we've drifted back into our own strength. And we just declare over us, Holy Spirit, we want the fullness of Christ. Come and fill us right now in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, for those of us who uh, we've, we've tried to do life on our own, in fact, we would be of those who would say we believe in the values and the, the moral code of what Jesus taught, but we haven't actually made Jesus our Lord and Saviour. Lord Jesus, this morning, we choose to make you our Lord and Saviour. We believe that you were sent from God. 
We believe that the fullness of who you are is for us. And we embrace it this morning in Jesus' name.